to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus 12, we read the verses 1 through 14. And then we move to the New Testament where we read from Luke's gospel account, Luke 22, the verses 7 through 23. And we consider these passages in connection with our confession in Lord's Day 28 concerning the Lord's Supper, the first of the three Lord's Days on the matter. Exodus 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then shall they take, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. We turn ahead in God's Word to Luke 22. Luke 22, where we read the verses 7 through 23. And then after we've heard from this portion of God's Word, we'll sing in response in preparation to receive God's Word, Psalm 23, the first three stanzas. Luke 22, beginning at verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the, ma the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Lord's Day 28. where we confess the following, how does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts in this way? Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of one body, 
of our body are by one soul. Whereas Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, we took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. This promise is repeated by Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. In response to the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing together from Psalm 81, stanzas 1 through 5, 9, and 14. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you recently celebrated an event in your life or in the life of a loved one? Were you involved in a birthday or anniversary celebration? It's standard feature at such events to be glad, to mingle, and to celebrate. As an invited guest, you ought to be actively involved in order to give honor to the host and to strengthen the bonds of fellowship. Well, Believers are to be actively involved in the celebration of, our, of the Lord's Supper. Our role in this sacrament is different from our role at our baptism. The two sacraments do share, of course, a lot of similarities. And you can actually see that when you just compare Lord's Day 28 with Lord's Day 26. If you were to put beside each other the three questions and answers you're gonna see that they run parallel with each other, by and large. Same, similar kind of terminology. Yet, in a subtle way, they also capture the difference. Lord's Day 26 begins, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice on, of Christ on the cross benefits you? But here in Question 75, we say, we confess, how does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? Maybe you don't hear the difference. Maybe you do. By baptism, Christ's finished work is promised to my benefit. I experience that passively but I come knowingly to the Lord's Supper table and then partake of Christ and all his benefits. In baptism, God gives his promises to me, 
without me asking for them. But now, at the Lord's Supper, I extend my hand to take the bread and the cup, and by that gesture of faith, spirit-wrought faith, I deliberately involve myself in communion and celebration with Christ and his people. The two sacraments of the church obviously belong together. One signifies and seals being brought to Christ. The other signifies and seals staying with, abiding in Christ. So we are baptized once, but Christ commands us to regularly celebrate communion in order to grow more and more in faith, love, and hope. Now this afternoon, then, we come to refresh our minds. We come to see what our celebration is all about, why we celebrate, and then also the result of our celebration. Now, it might seem as if, you know, for today, we're maybe going in reverse from the empty tomb this morning back to the cross. But we celebrate the Lord's Supper as people who have passed with Christ through death into life. And that's also going to become clear this afternoon. The Lord's Supper is for those who by faith have both died and risen with the Lord. And so I bring you God's word in this way. That Christ commands us to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. And we'll consider the institution of our celebration, the meaning of our celebration, and then the fruit of our celebration. So first, the institution. The night of the first Lord's Supper was extraordinary for our Lord. We get a sense of that from our reading from Luke chapter 22. It was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Christ had commanded Peter and John to make the necessary preparations for the disciples to eat the Passover. Peter and John obey. At the meal itself, Christ said to his disciples, verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then he gave thanks, poured out the wine, broke bread with them. The way Luke records the celebration harks back to the, many of those details of the first celebration of the Passover. And so we need to understand the meaning of the Passover before we can properly appreciate the institution of the Lord's Supper. Passover took place on the night before the Israelites left Egypt, the house of slavery. The angel of death went through Egypt from house to house, killing all the firstborn, man and beast. But he passed over the houses where there was blood on the doorposts and on the lintels, the firstborn of those Israelite homes were spared. Now, the Israelites were spared because they were better than the Egyptians, yeah? The Egyptians, they had been so nasty toward God's people. Exodus 1 verse 12 and 13 says that they came to dread the Israelites and worked and used them ruthlessly. This angered the Lord, so he exacts vengeance upon them at Passover. 
Although, Israel is not any better. They deserve destruction at the hand of the angel of death just as well. They were as guilty as the Egyptians of original sin. And they also sinned daily, to be sure, in Egypt. Moses, we know the story, he complained before the Lord that I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue and unable to confront Pharaoh on my own. And the Israelites provoked the Lord to anger and Exodus, or rather Ezekiel 23 records that they even engaged in prostitution and idol worship during their time in Egypt. But they were spared. Why? Because of the red blood painted on the sides and tops of the door frames of their houses, which was the blood of a one-year-old male lamb without defect, which was slaughtered that Passover night. The whole feast was then called Passover because the angel of death passed over the houses with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. That blood, we've come to understand and see, served to protect and to save. And so the Lord commands in verse 14, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord a lasting ordinance. And so the people of Israel celebrated this festival year after year, even to today. And so we then find the Lord Jesus celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples at the proper time, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this particular Passover carried on much like all the previous celebrations of freedom from slavery. Matthew 26, verse 30 even mentions that they sang a hymn which was customary. Towards the end of the celebration, they would sing from Psalms 113 through 118. Those were called the Hallel Psalms. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Point being, these psalms recalled the victory over bondage in Egypt. But for the Lord Jesus then, they also pointed to his coming victory over death. For that's what the shedding of the lamb's blood ultimately stood for. That lamb sitting on the table in front of Christ and his disciples stood for Christ Jesus, the great Passover lamb, as Paul writes. That lamb that was slaughtered pointed to Christ dying for his people. Even the blood on the doorposts on the night before the Exodus pointed forward to the bloodshed of our Savior on the cross. Christ is going to die as a substitute for his people to protect them and to save them. And on the night he was betrayed, our Savior makes this clear by his actions. He takes a piece of unleavened bread, gives thanks, breaks the bread, gives it to his disciples. That was routine. But then the Lord adds some of the most profound words. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We need to appreciate today that these words were unexpected 
earth-shattering. They were words of salvation, of redemption from sin. Tomorrow, he's saying, whether they understood it, the Lamb of God will be broken for you. Indeed, did they understand that? Well, there's more. Christ poured out the wine as well, of course. There were actually four cups at the meal. The Lord Jesus in chapter 22, verse 17, had taken a cup, which would have been the second cup of that meal. And when the meal was finished, there was a third cup poured in verse 20. The Lord took it and then he uttered some more unexpected, profound words. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Speaking of his own blood, which would be poured out like wine. That will happen tomorrow on the cross, where his blood would spill on the ground for all the sins of God's people. This is how Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. He gave to his disciples the broken, unleavened bread as a sign and seal that his own body is going to be broken. And as the wine is poured out, so his blood too will be shed. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, pushed aside the Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper so that we would celebrate in remembrance of him. And the Church of Christ has done this up till today, according to the command of Christ. For that's what it was, and answer 75 of our catechism captures that. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. So that at every celebration, we see and we taste our Savior. Christ commanded us to do this. And so it's only through the way of obedience that a desire for celebration can grow and mature. It's, yes, obedience to, the, to a command in the first place. We have a duty. That's why, it's not, that's why it's unnecessary for someone to say, I'm not worthy, or I'm not bold enough to go. It sounds pious. Maybe not. Such an excuse might show that you actually do have a boldness. A boldness to disobey. The Lord's Supper is not for super-Christians. It's for all repentant sinners. We are equally sinners as Christ's first disciples at that table. Not only the strong believers, you want to call them that, but all true believers are commanded to come. Christ let his body be nailed and broken. He let his blood be poured out for all sinful, repentant believers. He invites us to his table to be reminded and assured of that. We share in his one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts. So he invites both the spiritually mature, strong, and the spiritually struggling, the weak. Those with joys and confidences in their faith, you might say, 
as well as those who are somewhat insecure. He invites those who repent because of their sins and who desire to flee from them for such believers. The celebration of the bitter death of our Lord has such rich value. And that takes us to our second point where we see the meaning of our celebration. Well, with the command to celebrate, brothers and sisters, there come some beautiful promises that we see portrayed in the supper. Answer 75 explains some of these for us. In the first place, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. The Lord's Supper, it said, is visible gospel. The symbols of Christ declare loud and clear, even though you should have suffered eternal death, I have offered my body to the death of the cross and have shed my blood for you. This is why, by the way, it's important for each and every one of us to look when the minister breaks and pours. The broken bread before my eyes is a vivid reminder of the incomprehensible death that Christ suffered for me and that wine that I'm to see poured out is a vivid reminder of the blood of Christ that trickled down the beam of the cross for me. Bread and wine, they're visible and they're supposed to be seen because they're visible proclamation of the forgiveness of all my sins. I need to see that sometimes. Indeed, we gain assurance of that at the Lord's Supper. That's where you see, uh, not only see with your eyes, but take into your hand as well. Touch, taste. That's how you are reminded that the faithful God of the covenant does indeed concern himself with me and you, sinful covenant children. Again, this is why the Lord has commanded us to partake when we are displeased with ourselves because of our sin, then the Lord of the covenant of the, uh, the Lord of the table of the covenant calls out to us, I have no pleasure in the death of this child of the covenant. Rather, he will receive us, unworthy ones, to be made worthy partakers of his heavenly food and drink. For Christ also promised that he himself nourishes and refreshes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood. Those are deep, meaningful words that we can hardly fully appreciate. The life of Christ flows into us and that strengthens the unbreakable bond that we already have with him. Beloved, this is all in answer 75. This rich meaning of our celebration. It tells us of 
two covenant blessings of the covenant that we enjoy in the Lord's Supper. The forgiveness of sins we enjoy because of our communion with the death of Christ, or Christ in his death, rather. An everlasting life we owe to our communion with our living Christ. In other words, we celebrate the Lord's Supper in order to exercise communion with the crucified and the glorified Christ. That's beautiful, that we may then also meditate upon this this day after Good Friday and Easter morning. The Catechism expands on these two things further in question answer 76. It gives us more opportunity to reflect upon just what exactly this nourishing and refreshing my soul to everlasting life is all about. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? It means to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. The Catechism, in the first place, views our celebration as a believing people, as a believing embrace of the finished work of our Savior. That celebration is an act of confession. It's a confession that I am that wretched person who can't be saved but by the body and blood of Christ. I don't bring a thing to the table but rather I receive, I accept something from God. All that I must do is accept, embrace, hold out the empty hand of faith to receive. Still more, there usually is. There's more meaning yet in our celebration. To eat Christ's crucified body and blood is also to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, we go on. Although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. This is paradise terminology. Union, communion. And we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. So, we not only receive or accept something, but we're also governed. Governed by the Holy Spirit, which actually sets the bar pretty high. For there are those in the Church of Christ who sit under the preaching who attend celebration after celebration, who receive so much, but show no or so little change. That takes advantage, you might say, of only one of the benefits of the Lord's Supper. It's to our shame if we regularly partake of the Lord's Supper, yet make no progress in our walk of faith, but remain self-righteous, resentful, and self-involved. 
In other words, when your thoughts and actions don't show the fruit of the Spirit, that you are one who's not only supposed to accept, but also let your life be governed by the Spirit. You see that? So yes, brothers and sisters, our faith has a tough task in some sense. We grow weary and we doubt but it's as this kind of people that we come to the table of the Lord to receive new strength from our Savior to be re-energized in our battle against sin. Faith, true faith, cries out for nourishment at the table of the Lord so that we become more and more united to His body, to Him. Answer 76, has the proper perspective on our union with Christ. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that the bread and wine turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. Lutheranism teaches that the elements don't change, but are still closely linked to Christ's actual body. He descends into, becomes part of, in a sense, the bread and wine so that he is in, with, and under the elements. It's difficult to understand, to be sure. Zwingli reacted to these teachings by saying that the Lord's Supper is not much more than what he called a memorial meal, a remembrance of a past event. But our loyal catechism goes beyond these definitions. Christ is in heaven. We are on earth. And the Lord's Supper is more than just a memorial meal. The Holy Spirit builds a unity more and more between our Savior in heaven and us on earth. That unity goes to the core. That we are flesh of His flesh and bone of His bones. Intimate communion that reminds us of Adam and Eve. This bond, the Spirit strengthens between Christ and His church in the Lord's Supper. And this gives, this all gives our celebration such rich meaning. We learn to put away our struggles and our doubts, and we learn to accept the work of Christ in faith in order to receive the promises of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And we grow in our union with our Savior, with each other, through the powerful work of the Spirit. That's something for us to hold on to in our daily life, that we are all governed by one Spirit. All of this has to then bear fruit in the lives of the believer as brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's our final point where we see the fruit of our celebration. Well, just what is the result of the Lord's Supper? When the elders visit your home, part of the discussion revolves around what kind of fruit does the preaching produce in you? The question could just as well be asked, what fruit does the celebration of the Lord's Supper produce in you? 
Answer 77 of the Catechism quotes from 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? With grateful hearts, we thank and praise the Lord that he nourishes and refreshes believers with his body and blood. We are called to live a thankful life because of the gospel we see and partake of. We have to give thanks every day that we are one with the Christ, that more and more we become flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. The fruit of our celebration is simple. It's joy and it's gladness that we are Christ's. The Catechism makes clear how we can answer the question, where is the evidence that we've just celebrated the Lord's Supper with a believing heart? Answer 76 speaks of the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. It's not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, the spirit of love who dwells in us. And it's that spirit, as answer 76 also says, who through the Lord's Supper unites us more and more to Christ's sacred body. A body, first and foremost, is the Christ himself. Yet we may certainly also speak here of the church of Christ. He's the head, church is his body. At the Lord's Supper table, there is no such thing as social rank or status. As sinners, we all sit at the table of our Holy Lord, who considers us all the same. Whether we work in sales, in an office, on the job site, or in the home. At the Lord's Supper table, we are all one. But yes, the question before us now is, what happens when we leave that table and we enter again into everyday life in the field, home, office, wherever? The form for Lord's Supper says, for the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another and shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Beloved, there's nothing that conflicts more with the Lord's Supper celebration than the contradiction between your word and your deed. The celebration of the Lord's Supper and a life of discord, enmity, envy, and the like. There is a reason, you know, for this kind of attitude that is either explicit or is an undertone in the Church of Christ. Just prior to what we quoted, the form states, as one bread is baked out of many grains, and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. The kernels of grain have to be grounded, and those grapes must be pressed that involves sacrifice and a bit of pressure, pain. Through that sacrifice of the parts, the whole comes into being, bread and wine, and there lies the problem. 
by nature, we're not the least bit interested in sacrifice. We don't want to deny ourselves for the other. That shows itself in so many areas, sadly. Our marriages, our friendships, our business practices, our relationships with brothers and sisters within the church. We would rather not be grounded or pressed. We don't want to be the least in the kingdom of God. For as long as that kind of thing goes on, you're not going to find love or unity. You're not going to be able to reconcile with your neighbor. You're not going to be able to be a hand and a foot to the neighbor. You see, if the Lord's Supper celebration produces no fruit of love or communion in you, that shows that you have so little appreciation for how Jesus Christ himself was grounded and pressed for your sake. Beloved, the Apostle Paul once said, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The table of the Lord cries out also then for the return of the Lord. Again, the form we have is beautiful. It says at one point, we receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised and look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. We read in Luke 22 that that's what he's waiting for when he can drink again with us. The final fruit of our participation in and our celebration of the Lord's Supper is that we then also yearn for his return. Believers are on their way there. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that goal. We are on our way from the cross of hatred and betrayal to the communion of true believers at the marriage feast of the Lamb, where bride and bridegroom will eat and drink to their heart's content. Brothers, sisters in the Lord, the Lord's Supper reminds you and assures you of the Lord's faithfulness to you, that on Good Friday he sent his Son for you, and that he's coming in his kingdom for you and all believers. We look backwards to Christ, and we look forward to the same Christ. That's what our celebration is all about. That's what our life is all about. Christ alone our souls will feed. He is our food and drink indeed. Faith lives upon no other. Alleluia. Amen.